Good evening, everyone. A warm welcome to the panelists, guests, and students. Thank you all for taking your time out on a busy Saturday to be a part of the Bespoke Show. Ms. Asha Sampat and Mr. Sid Balega jointly host the Bespoke Show over here. So today's discussion is on strategic leadership and business transformation in a digital world, wherein here we hear three perspectives from three different business leaders. I would like to introduce the three speakers for today. We have with us Mr. Harish Sharma. He is the Group Vice President at Toyota Financial Services India. Our next speaker is Mr. Manjunath Jian. He is the Marketing Director at Strike Deck. So, our final speaker is Mr. Vinod Shankar. He is the Associate Vice President at KSTAR, a seed initiative of Kalari Capital involved in deal sourcing and portfolio management. He is an angel investor and an entrepreneur. Uh, good evening and welcome to all our panelists. So the topic for today is about uh, <coughs> transformation and uh, strategic leadership. So when we talk about transformation, we also think of innovation and uh, sometimes this term is used interchangeably. So in innovation and transformation are used as synonyms. Uh, and there is also a lot of focus on digital transformation. So we also mistake uh, transformation to be always digital in nature. So today we are going to focus more on Internet of Things, mobility, social media, and how these have helped in business transformation, modern businesses. We have three uh, speakers talking on three different uh, uh, diverse views, bringing three diverse perspectives. One talking about a large legacy enterprise, one talking about uh, technology from a global technology background, and one from a venture capital background. Thank you, Sid. Good evening to the panelists and also to the audience. Uh, Manju, if I may start with you. Um, you are a marketing specialist in the technology space. Yeah. Uh, you have been uh, implementing customer success solutions uh, and marketing automations across sectors. What are the typical uh, impediments that you face uh, when you try to implement these solutions in large enterprises? Um, as you try to shake away the traditional ways of working and transition into uh, advanced ways of uh, uh, solutions. Uh, can you explain some of the challenges yeah. that you have experienced? Sure. sure. I mean, when we work with uh, large enterprises, first thing is like, I mean, the influences, whomsoever we will be talking on implementing a particular software. I mean, maybe Harish can <laughs> correct it if I am wrong. They, they will not take uh, risk. I mean, they, they want to make sure whatever we implement is like going on in a smooth pull manner and it's, it's not a bottleneck for them. So that's the first thing they'll be looking for. So that's a barrier that we need to really overcome. And sometimes, I mean, we will be put in a side wherein we'll not be getting too many information in a expected uh, time. So we need to push and pull and we need to really tell them that, okay, we are owning the complete uh, implementation from our side. and. Because when we go up on a technology side, there will be a lot of new things that they have to learn and they may have to unlearn. So that, that will be kind of a barrier because we don't know where we would have uh, pitched. The CEO has liked our product. So he has told, why don't we have this product? So <laughs> and uh, now the ball is uh, passed on to the next uh, level in the hierarchy 
once the ball is in that level of hierarchy we need to really fight with them sometimes telling that why it is really important while we have gained that initial traction from the management telling that yeah it's a very good software and we want to have it so the below the level hierarchy will ask lot of questions one yeah you know in a positive sense they want to know in and out and they want to go in depth on how the i mean software performs and what what will they really get it on the other side definitely is yes, they want to really know what i have to learn and how much time i have to learn what is the training that we need to provide internally and how smooth pull it is so this second one the later part is like very tough because they, they don't want to come up with their uh, way of working so just to give it short i think i'll right. put it there right so do you think that the ceo's involvement in the whole uh, implementation process is key to the success i mean ceos will not be involved okay so ceos will never be involved okay. not the leadership team will be involved okay so what we would have done we would have pitched to the ceo okay. on what are those five unique points okay. that why they want to have this product and we have made our first mark and this is something that the ceo wants to see it okay. so now the ball has parked into his team and it's not the leadership team as well mm -hmm. for those people somebody like the account managers delivery managers the delivery heads internal to the company so those are people we need to deal with so harish uh, it's a very competitive world and uh, you know that better than anybody else Uh, and the results that are expected is not incremental it's more exponential uh you have had experience uh, implementing transformation uh, along your career right one thing one challenge that i see is the uh, the deliverables are diverse for example a finance head may expect an roi while uh, an operations guy may focus more on quality while the marketing person obviously will focus more on the value addition to a customer so how do you actually uh, create an enabling environment where there is a shared vision that everybody can see and uh, fall in line with thanks asha uh the transformation um when you're when you're trying for a transformation it has to have a single vision right now on the top and that same vision has to be translated across the levels in a way that they everybody actually understands otherwise you will face situations like what manju was referring to now the ceo here has actually liked what he saw and he wants it to be done with right so that he wants that benefits to come out but the communication of that vision that he saw when he you know saw the offering that communication may have not happened very clear to the teams or maybe the teams have not gone up and said look these are the problems you have the vision but this is not suiting that vision there is a gap in communication the first and foremost is simple you know and single vision and next is communication across the levels so that's number one without this nothing can happen number two see you need a team which is cross functional they need to have uh, not conflicting Uh, but diverse focus areas so for example a finance person has to focus on the roi because that's hitting bottom line he needs to see whether the investment that you're making is going to return something or not to the company whereas a marketing person has to look at the customer because you are there because the customer wants you right same is with an it person he wants to ensure whatever is goes in actually goes in of quality because otherwise it's going to create lot more problems in the delivery of the promise that you are giving to the customer that is their role they have to play but the key thing is 
how do you bring consensus so that all are important i cannot say my customer is important but so otherwise not now you have to bring that together so transformation is is a painful journey but very rewarding if you are able to do it so single vision clear communication and consensus with a cross functional team which has diverse focus these are three things i would say i guess that's where leadership plays a critical role bringing them all together right that is the only role leadership has to play right we <laughs> um, you know can we is it right to say that uh, the startups are actually bringing about enterprise uh, um, uh, enterprise level digital transformations when they actually start businesses is that relevant right i would look at it very differently i mean okay. for a toyota uh, i mean they need a leadership with a vision bring a large diverse team in startup lot of these are exactly the opposite when they start off okay uh, exactly the opposite so i think in in case of startup i wouldn't call them as transformation but i would say you know they have to be super agile to adapt to what's happening on the ground so that's in a way transformation or adaptability but not like a uh, corporate transformation that we're talking of largely right when we mm-hmm. say transformation people largely think of large corporates who are doing some transformation from top down uh, really? leadership positioning i think in startups you have to scale today you may have 10 customers tomorrow you're going to have 100 customers how are you going to scale that's a transformation mm-hmm. today you have to recruit one guy tomorrow you have to recruit 20 guys that's actually really difficult problem for most founders so that's a transformation is the founder has to undergo mm-hmm. so i think uh, transformations happen but i think in a different uh, dimension for startups not the transformation that we usually uh, talk of you know uh, at mbs uh, yeah. so 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 i think startups let to be more agile right. uh, that i think corporate transformations can have their own time and for maybe typically takes a year to adding to what uh, vinod just said uh, about ground level changes especially in startups compared to li- you know large enterprises manju uh, this is actually a, a question that comes for transformation uh, transformation and innovation just adding to what i also said in the introduction to this session so is always innovation uh, a precursor to transformation so at ground level always is high level of innovation required to bring about a change or is it only improvising or st- small level incremental efforts that also can lead to uh, great changes what is your perspective okay so i mean innovation we have to define it for each and every company and each and every way we look at it so i mean sometimes i see it as a a small change in process even that's an innovation if, if i can make a team productive by implementing a new technology while not compromising on roi so i think that's that's kind of innovation that i perceive so when you want to innovate i mean innovate and transformation i personally see it as two different things we want to grow i mean the team is growing threefold we want to grow atex this year in order to achieve that i have a target of building a team automating the process and everything so while i am doing it i have to define innovation and how do i do it within my own set of budget hiring is a big challenge i mean vinod was mentioning that so when we get good people all notice period lot, lot of we will have lot of challenges sometimes unfortunately with large corporates the notice period is 3 months so <laughs> so if i hire someone he is joining me after 3 months so what there's no guarantee that he will join also right <laughs> there's no guarantee at the end of 3 yeah, months <laughs> end of 3 months he joins so how do we there's no guarantee either yeah there's no guarantee there so uh, that means innovation need not necessarily be filing uh, half a dozen patents and 
saying, okay, I have done this great new thing and let's start off now, transforming. Yeah. So it can be process-wise improvements also can be innovation. I think there are two things in innovation. One, I think, is business model innovation at yeah. some level, uh, which is like uh, you're doing the same thing in a different way. That's a business model innovation or like really deep tech innovation. That's where patents and all these right. things. Uh, we, we kind of seen both, but for the patent or the deep tech ones that we're talking, right, that requires a longer gestation period. It mm. takes probably two years, you know, before you see the first outcome. But for business model innovations, you can see today, I mean, cab taxis were there. So Uber is like a business model innovation. So that's like possible much faster. You're able to see the results much faster. But it's still, still innovation or like Swiggy today, I think all of us do. Right. Swiggy has a solution called Pop. I think how many of you use like, it delivers like, in slots, like you can order it in the next sure time saying I'll deliver in the next minutes. So, so I think two types of we should clear in our heads, you know, what are we going after? Is it long term, which is going to take a lot of time, maybe the results are there, not there, like in pharma companies, or the business model innovation is much faster and possible to see, you know, upfront, maybe in like months, if not in years. I think Toyota also probably will have a lot of those See, uh, Toyota has a different philosophy. Uh, there, the thought process is whatever you do, there's always a better way of doing it. So that means you're never happy with what you're doing. So you try to do something which is better. That, that can, kind of fosters innovation. Now, what is innovation? Fundamentally means that you have done something or you're doing something which is not done before. That's it, right? So that's greenfield in that way. Transformation is uh, there, there was a state and you are changing that state into a newer state. It's a brownfield. Th they have their own challenges. <laughs> Innovation has its own challenges. But, but what Toyota is trying to do now is uh, when you say innovation, uh, you are basically trying to move towards a transformation because there's always a lot of things that are happening. Right? You innovate so that you can transform. So they kind of linked to an extent now. We have a very good example of Swiggy. They have seen the deployment happening and how it's functioning. There's a small gap in there. That's what he said, slots. And it's a, it's a very important thing. Can I get my breakfast between 8 to 8.30 without ordering on daily basis? So that is a business model innovation. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's one uh, thing Manju mentioned. Also slightly disagreeing on one part of that that's happening in the space. Uh, I mean, today we are seeing uh, a, a, a startup, you know, which is launching rockets from India, that's like really, uh, like called Agri Cool, if you guys can take a look at it. Uh, they're trying to launch low-cost, uh, you know, micro-satellites, nano-satellites. It doesn't need to go on a large PSLV payload. It can go as an individual payload. That's something that's happening out of India. And it's invested by another VC. We've not invested. But what the sense is that people are now looking at, uh, you know, not just business model innovation, they are also looking at, you know, deep, uh, you know, uh, innovation in a sense of uh, improving over existing technology. That's something that's really happening in the space now. It may not have happened in the last, you know, if you asked me the same question five years back, I would probably have said very less of, uh, you know, the technology innovation as such or improvement in technology. But today that's happening and it's clearly visible. Like I've seen a company which is doing mid-layer batteries right outside IIC. Uh, which is only being done in Israel by another company called Free Energy. So, so, so it, it's happening. I think in the next, you know, five to ten years, we would see a lot of Indian companies with real technology innovations 
going out to the world and also you know you know when the india is a large market anyway so that's something happening uh, i think uh, business model innovations are easy to do or like i mean it's easy and visible and fast to do that's my input and and that's why i also have bit of a uh, different opinion because if you are always focused on the speed then you're obviously going to short term in terms of you know short change in terms of the innovation um, it innovation takes time right it needs to be done thoroughly whether it's deep tech or whatever thing you said a satellite to be launched to the moon it doesn't happen in six months right so i think we are in really a good time when it comes to both sides of the innovation now we've just moved not just on the business model but we are also moving on the technology innovation as well so in a large enterprise when uh, an enterprise goes through a transformation it's fairly easier to allocate resources allocate the right level of leaders or hire easily more easily but from a startup perspective we you know when the organization starts off from a very seed level stage and grows to a mid level organization or a small organization how does the leadership also evolve along with that uh, especially given that uh, nowadays there are many startup founders who have very limited uh, corporate experience or working experience and directly jumping onto the entrepreneurship uh, bandwagon so how does he evolve through this phase without having too many hiring which will add to the overheads again i think you hit the nail set i mean that that is a challenge uh, which i face day in and day out for example uh, we have a company which is in b2b space and manju would be able to sell that like this but the founder is just straight out of iit we thought you know they, they we need to invest in them we put our faith in them but they have to learn it's taken them two and a half years now they figured out how to sell yes it's a challenge and you know how comfortable are we is the challenge but one thing i would highlight is you know we need to look when we're looking for founders can they learn that's a key component you know quality that you want to see you know if if they are not willing to listen or learn right i think that becomes a difficulty to when you make an investment and see uh, will they adapt to these changes that you're talking of right of growing a company recruiting people managing people talking to investors multiple stakeholders in the business right so that's a quality which we always look for to see are they willing to learn on a continuous basis if they willing to learn then they'll scale if all this is not working obviously you'll have to recruit a guy who's better than you and also keep in your head right at some point right the company is uh, you know bigger than you you have to find people better than you uh, to put those positions but a lot of founders who are good at finding people better than them scale really well i think that's a very good point about hiring people who are better than us yeah and i think we should uh, people should control their egos and really get people better than themselves yeah. sometimes I mean, in the interest of the organization yeah i mean yeah. there there are some rules uh, said what what uh, probably people should follow i mean they need to sell their startups right mm-hmm. i mean they need to sell the product mm-hmm. so i mean there comes the all egos and all those stuff i mean if i am if i want to hire you mm-hmm. i say said this is my product this is what i am going to build this is the technology stack this is my team i have built it before i have done these things before you come in over here you take the lead of it i will give you a flexibility you come in build your own team so you have to bring in all the things so that you can sell them so you have to sell yourself in the startup sell your product then you will be able to get uh, good people uh, technology keeps changing so fast these days uh, it's unimaginable actually but it may not be able to we may not be able to uh, match the human skills at the same pace as the technology changes so how do you actually balance uh, 
stability with agility by making sure that the uh, the skills are actually aligned with the pace at which you want to implement technology is that a challenge implementing new technology is definitely a challenge so i mean how you do it i mean the initial example which i was giving is when you want to get a new technology onboarded so you should know i mean what are the skills that you should have and how they can scale from there right. simple examples i mean some of the people may don't want to do this the kind of approach i had and where i succeeded we have a lot of marketing automation tools way back in 2008 2009 we had some five tools now because of the startup uh, environment that is going aggressive across the globe today I have 100 to 200 marketing automation tools right. <laughs> so how can i expect my team to be aware of all those technologies and uh, like work for them so i mean if you, if you go to linkedin and see couple of job descriptions say x marketing automation tool experience 5 years 4 years only mandatory all those stuffs will come in so then you are putting yourself into a problem because that technology may also go extinct in another 2 years right but it's also important to embrace them as they come yes. uh, in order to stay a step ahead yes. of competition yes so you don't have a choice there really yes. but at the same time uh, the skills may not be uh, yeah. aligning at the same momentum yeah. as technology changes yeah so what happens there is uh, for example i took someone who has experience in working for a kind of a smb tool small and medium enterprise enterprise tool okay. so i need to scale that guy to using an enterprise tool so we should be ready for it right. so the same modular he should know how to scale up right. so one guy was running campaigns like if you take ad campaigns he was running campaigns for 10 countries as a functional head or a leader you should know how to scale up that guy in order to make him run campaigns for 100 countries to be I, i just want to add yep. uh, a little bit uh, here see uh, technology is changing and it is becoming obsolete quite quickly right but you need people to scale up right. but if you take a traditional approach where i say okay i have the person who's expert in this right. i need an ex person who's an expert in this then it is uh, of no point because one year two years is becoming obsolete how will you find people so you look at people who have the skill of uh, learnability right they can Growth unlearn mindset. uh they can unlearn whatever they have learned and they can relearn and they can move on they can scale up they have this little bit of common sense which is you know they can adapt and they can learn so picking unlearn, the right relearn. talent is key to success that is when you are able to match this otherwise it's it's impossible to match so you right. have to find you are uh, probably in a strategic position right because you are both into hr <laughs> and it <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so See, see, that, see that, that's the beauty of it. IT is where you want to bring predictability, right? You you want to bring everything which is logical, and HR is the exact opposite of it. Right. There's nothing called logic there. Right. It's all nothing called rational thinking. Right. So there's no one right solution. Also, forget it. <laughs> it's all gray. It's all gray. So, but it's it's beautiful. So, when only when you are able to marry these two together, these are the two biggest assets any organization can happen. Yeah, so just continuing with you, Harsh, um, Harish. Uh, sorry. um how do you position as a large enterprise uh when you are having smes now we are talking of technology for smes as the next big thing so there are a lot of smes that are uh, gearing up to embrace technology and on the other hand there's also startups that are uh, growing up in uh, technology driven space so would you actually see that as an opportunity where you leverage through partnerships or do you see them as a threat uh, from the perspective of a large organization 
um, I think it's an opportunity. Okay. Frankly, uh, because you can't do everything by yourself. Right. Uh, the pace of change is what has uh, is different now. There was always change, but the pace of change has accelerated now. So, and the model that you uh, you may have want to adapt is uh, coexistence. Right. So you create an ecosystem of things, and you figure out what you want to do, and what you want to be get done by others who are your partners. So an ecosystem of partners is something that's uh, that's that's going to work in this uh, in this pay you know fast changing. Uh, environment, and I would see um, where small startups would have come up with something which is uh, extremely new. And they'll be quite nimble, and they can do something that we can't do. Then you you as well partner with them and then make use of it. Yeah. We have some strengths; they have their strengths. Marry them to an extent that is possible, and then get the benefits of, of both. I think so that, that's use collaboration say. as a success tool. And that's the only way to work. Right. You you look at anybody. Right. Take for Apple example. Apple collaborates with who? Samsung, their biggest competitor. Right. Their display is from Samsung. Right. So if you can do that at that level, where billions of dollars are at stake, then what are we talking about? So. I I actually see your point of even from a personal experience. Uh, five years ago, if we were talking to competitors, it was looked at, perceived very negatively. But today I see the competitors are, act even in my own field, I find that competitors are collaborating with each other. So yes. I think yes. what you said does make real sense. Yes, I think collaboration is a key skill for any person going forward. Right? Apart from learnability, adaptability, collaboration. Vinod, uh, do you have any uh, experiences of startups that are highly technology driven? Uh, that have managed to displace SMEs or large corporates by embracing technology? I mean, it's a very uh, akin to the question I asked yeah. Harish, uh, but from your perspective. You say technology, I mean, business, business innovation also is fine, I'm assuming here. Like, right. I mean, simple example uh, that I can immediately think of, right, is think you've heard of a company called Zenoti. Right. Uh, this is the spa management uh, uh, solution which manages appointments. It's software, simple yes. software. Piece. Super unorganized industry previously, uh, you know, multiple pieces, multiple vendors. We single-handedly have captured almost 80% of India's market. One one company, and and there was no large corporate per se in this space, but there were a lot of smaller players. Single-handedly have managed to do that. Like, that's like one simple possibility. So there there are cases where, but in in the SME space in India, SME space specifically, right? But there haven't been too many players who have managed to do anything. Tally so far. Right. Maybe make my trip. Uh, make this lot more. I would say customer facing at this uh, stage. But in the SME space, it's been slightly difficult so okay. far. Okay. Tally is the only person so far who people talk about who's managed to do something there. But everybody believes that the next 10 years that's potentially uh, going to happen. Okay. And Tally itself is setting up something you know where they want to encourage others who are building software to distribute to them because they already have a large uh, distribution channel with SMEs. Right. So in, in the global space, I think there's a lot of stories out of India. If you look at Zoho or Freshworks, captured a large chunk of market, you know, in the CRM space. So that's, that. I think there are multiple companies. Right. That, not that so end. much, not so much in India. In, in Indian SMEs, it's been a little tough so far, okay. but we are just hoping that might happen maybe in the next five to 10 years. That's potentially the possibility or opportunity area for if somebody is looking to start up there. Yeah. Right. Good point. 
Manju, we re uh, read a lot about automation, yeah. especially in the media, about automation taking away jobs. And at the same time, we have lots of loads and loads of engineering graduates and others, other graduates coming out each year, not employable, uh, primarily because they seem to be not skilled or semi-skilled. Uh, and at the same time, automation taking away jobs. And the focus uh, in the education space is more on tertiary education even today where people are building up, you know, deemed universities and private institutions. Whereas the focus on elementary education is not at all there even today. Uh, that is where the foundations are built uh, to have people who can be skilled, who are skillable. So that means even in future, let's say in 10 years from now, we are going to have people who are going to be unskilled. So graduates coming out who are still unskilled and at the same time automation taking away jobs. So what is your take on uh, this? Is it going to be something that is going to snatch away jobs and create more unemployed people in India? Okay. I mean, straight answer is maybe we want to create more unemployed people in US rather than in India. <laughs> <laughs> we have built a tool for which we are hiring not less than 200 people in India. Okay. That is to automate the banking and financial services for the companies who are based out of US. So, I mean, they have a lot of challenges. So, we are trying to build an artificial intelligent chatbot who can replace a human. So, their, their cost is like, cost of ownership is like very high in units. So, if you look at, if, if your question is like in India, no, I mean, we are like hiring big time. Coming to the question of skilled and unskilled, yeah, I mean, in India, definitely we see that as a gap. When people come in fresh as a graduate, we need to put a lot of efforts unless and until only the top cream of maybe 5% will be good to go on the job. Other 93, 5% is like not definitely no. I mean, we have to scale them, we have to train them, bring them on the job, etc. So that we have to do it. But uh, the present automation, may, I mean, they may not lose a job because of it because the current trend which I am seeing in India especially is people are learning new technologies. For example, digital marketing today is the most demanding or the kind of uh, job openings where we have other than some of the leading technologies is in digital marketing. If you go to LinkedIn, you see most of the profiles. Some of the leading software engineers are changing their profession and they are like coming to search engine optimization because they know technology better. So we are giving that opportunity. So that's more on the automation side, building new technology. The people who come in have to learn this technology in order to upskill themselves. But, uh, but if they expect, yeah, whatever I learnt in marketing probably from a B school, I'll be able to start immediately, that may not happen. Um, see, 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 your question is, there's automation that's happening and we have an education system which is probably producing unskilled uh, people. So basically they're not employable. So how it's, how it's going to think, things, how things are going to look like in say 10 years from now. I, I feel, personally feel that there is a big gap. Uh, we are looking at uh, this issue coming up and becoming bigger and bigger, at least that's how I personally feel. Because uh, even now, um, th that, that linkage uh, for you to become uh, skillful enough to become employable right after you, you know, you're studying and you move into the industry, it is still not there. There's a lot of gap between what industry expects and what these educational institutions are getting it done. I can see changes in, in probably the uh, business schools or technical institutions which are doing post-graduation, graduation. I see a lot of changes there. Uh, there's a lot of industry uh, interaction 
internships are mandatory so people go there and experience how things are happening so they understand a little bit but fundamentally your question was on elementary schooling right yes. nothing we are not looking at skills that are required these are not like technical skills you want you don't understand java you know coding you know that's not what you want in the elementary school you want to understand basic simple stuff how to work in a team right how to communicate how to articulate uh, how to manage yourself right some of these things are foundational things which i think we are not focusing on and this could lead to some challenges uh, in the upcoming years yeah, actually the, uh, it's a very valid point that you made uh, the val the foundation the elementary schooling has a lot of impact on uh, long term learning this ability to absorb java or some other tool or uh, you know even the modern tools in automation if he has to get skilled i think elementary schooling plays an important role there so if the schooling is not done properly trying to build uh, the 10th floor is pointless yeah i mean there's a new wave of uh, you know skilling that's happening mm. very focused on occasional skills like in the us and even in india it just started mm. it's where incentives are getting really aligned mm. uh, where like the school or the skilling entity right has a stake to make sure that he is learning those skills Mm. and he's employable and he gets an income share post is getting a job which is like incentives getting aligned which, which which doesn't address all the problems but it at least attacks you know how the incentives are driven for example you know you can go to an mba school be it the top ones pay 15 lakhs and sometimes maybe you still don't get a job mm. i'm just saying this yeah. <laughs> because in your speech you said most people go there because it's a placement hub <laughs> so but but the incentives are getting aligned and and i see that happening for example i've seen a school uh, it's called lambda in the us mm. where people do a 9 month course on computer science equivalent to a four year engineering just spending 9 months they then don't pay anything up front once they get a job they pay 15% of the salary for the next 3 years capped at 2x of the a number which is like capped at a particular number so that it does it's not over also so this is happening in a large way i think in india i see that going to change fundamentally the undergrad and grad you know how people are getting skilled that i think is happening maybe in the next 3 years you'll see that play out in a big way how people are going to get skilled fundamental change and maybe some schools and i'm <laughs> sitting yeah. in this school i should not say <laughs> but some schools will have to find different businesses i think uh, i think we should have this uh, concept of uh, people working along with studying mm. that is the fundamental thing if we can do one this change you now bring that about mm. uh, that will bring lot of these life skills that you need uh, to really excel and become employable you work you work in a grocery store you work in any store you you will get those skills mm. how to how to how to deal and how to manage yourself in that if you bring this simple change uh, i think there will be a lot of uh, positive impact towards this so that will bridge the gap on life skills but the technical skills i think will continue that's until easy, that's yeah. easy part i'll tell you that's okay. easier part mm. technical skills i mean uh, what he mentioned that's that, that'll be that'll, saying, that'll be done that'll, be, that'll get done i think i think people are motivated you know if i'm saying i can promise you 3x of your existing salary mm. you spend 6 months with me mm. and i'll just take 15% cap debt say let's two times of your past or whatever in the next 3 years people are willing to do that and some of the batches that i'm already seeing in india they're mm. just full so so this concept will take off and you don't need to potentially go to an engineering school after 12 hopefully you learned all your life skills and you've learned a lot of stuff 
then you just focus on what you really want to do in your life and rather than spending four years in uh, college and then coming out and 85% of the people not being uh, employable. You know, again, uh, Infosys puts them six months in that Mysore campus and <laughs> trains them and then we have what he was saying and all of them come to <laughs> See, see uh, we, we are talking in front yeah. of the students. But just, just imagine a scenario where you have a person who has done his MBA. He's supposed to be a person who is ready to manage, right? Has not got any experience working anywhere. I'll tell you how the person is going to be ready to manage. First, he has to start managing himself or herself, right? You need those simple skills where our education system and our, I mean, as parents, we are also part and parcel of that, uh, is not being imparted. So uh, that's where the gap comes in. Technical skills, managerial skills, there are a lot of institutions which, which, which cater to and people can learn on their own now, right? There's a lot of online that's available. But this is something that, that, that needs to be put in, I think. Uh, there's some, some, some kind of a mechanism has to be built. My idea is that at least uh, give them opportunity to work, right? There's a lot of, uh, uh, that, that's what I think in the West that has worked really well. So the uh, Vinod, coming back to you about uh, automation, jobs, and opportunities. Uh, the digital revolution has enabled even the neighborhood boy, the boy next door, to start off a business, put up things online. And we also read about garage ventures. So I started off a business in my garage, and you know, and I became a multimillionaire. And Times of India will flash it, and thousand other people will get motivated to start businesses in their garage. So, but every business cannot be started in a garage. There are things, there are businesses, ideas that require substantial capex, substantial gestation period. So, what's your take on it? And and getting money is not easy. Banks don't extend loans when you're new. Nobody funds your idea when it's on paper. So, what about those great ideas which require longer periods, longer gest longer uh, gestation periods, more money at uh, the seed level? So, how do they start off, or do they just dump it and say, okay, I can't do this? An idea alone is not going to take you in. Uh, ideas are dime a dozen. I mean, everybody in this room has an idea. I have 10 ideas. Manjunath has 50 ideas. I'm sure everybody has ideas. But if you have ideas alone, I think it's not going to take anywhere and say, boss, I have a great idea. Please, nobody is giving me money. I mean, if, if that was the case, right, I mean, by now everybody should have got some pocket money of 15 lakhs which Narendra Modi would have given. I mean, that's not going to happen, guys. So let's be very practical. Uh, why somebody is investing in you is so that he has responsibility to give back the money to his own uh, investors at the end of the day, right? So he is potentially looking for people who are different than people who are saying, I just have ideas, right? I mean, who's this one guy who will say, boss, I have an idea. I have figured out a way to build my first piece in the garage and I have sold, you know, selling is the life skill, like what we were talking, right? He's figured out a way to sell to somebody else, his friend, his colleague, whoever it is, to bring him as a co-founder into the garage. Both of them have sat together a couple of nights or a couple of months together and built a small prototype to show to the world, boss, look, there are so many ideas, everybody is talking of ideas, but I have at least gone to the next step. Can you show that? If you show that, right, you will have to do that, you know, if somebody has to give you money. If, if you just send me an idea with paper, I think nobody is going to buy that, at, at least today, because everybody is, you know, you know, milling with ideas, right? So you have to show something more than just idea. That's like addressing one part of the idea question. The other questions they ask is about high capex businesses and low capex businesses. Uh, so technology, you know, kind of has democratized, you know, has made those businesses easier to start in a garage. Yes, those are one part of the businesses. 
what businesses take a large chunk of money, right? It, it, I think it's going to be difficult to say, you know, who's going to give money. I mean, let's leave it to the industrialists. But innovation, right, doesn't require money, is the sense, right? That's how we have had so many startups, right? So to, to do a large business, you don't need the money that we think require, especially technology business. That is why I think us are looking at funding technology-focused businesses which can scale. And let's be honest. VCs will only fund businesses which can help them provide that large return. So they are not going to obviously fund businesses which are doing uh, innovation or traditional businesses and which is going to take a long gestation period. We have a time frame of say 8 to 10 years which by, now, by then we will have to return the money back to our investors. So, so we try and you know work with businesses which kind of can scale in that time frame. That's an absolute. So I classify them as three types of businesses if you ask me. One, I would call VC fundable businesses, like let's, let's say call a Swiggy or a Uber. You, 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 this is a business model innovation, but you can scale it up with a lot of money and, and you can return the money in, let's say, in 8 years, 10 years or do an IPO. This is a VC fundable business, fundamental. There's other kind of businesses which need not be VC fundable, but still very good businesses to run for the founders and for the people within those companies. For example, Zoho is not VC funded till, till date. It's been, it's taken 20 years for them to build that business, 1995 and today we're talking of 2020, right? 25 years for Zoho to build its business, no VC funding. He's very clear in his head that Sridhar is clear that I want to run the business this way, super profitable, but it's taken him 20, 25 years. But Freshworks, again, founder from Zoho with VC funding is built a similar kind of business, let's say in the last six years. So VC funding can accelerate a business the money is for growth and it will push you in a compressed time frame. 25 years to 6 years is a huge compression. Right? So I think people should realize, you know, is it VC fundable? Then go after that. If, it's, if you're very comfortable building a business over the next 20 years, you should do it. I think it's an absolutely fabulous idea. The experience will still be great to build a business for the next 20 years. And you will make enough money in most cases. I think people should decide what do they really want to do. Is it this business, this business or the industrial businesses, large corporate kind of story business, which again anyway we have to leave it to the big boys. So I think that's an individual decision, uh, that's what you say. Correct. Suggest, I think right? people should think, you know, make this Correct. decision, right, do I want to take external mm. money, then I have to go really mm. fast, or do I want to build slow, steady for my own life, I'll make enough money. That is also perfectly fine, that's what I tell a lot of founders who say, you know, if I say them, you know, this is not going to scale, they say, you know, why is it not going to scale, what should I do? It's perfectly fine not to be VC fundable. That's mm. perfectly fine. Mm. You build the business for the next 10 years and you'll still make, let's say, a couple of crores, which is perfectly fine. You'll have a great lifestyle, right? That's what all of us are looking after, right? If you want to be in the news, obviously you'll have to do the VC fundable business and you know, really work hard and scale it up in that fashion. Also choose a business that fits what VCs are looking for, large market sizes. Ability to build a great team, you know, scale faster, outcompete, competition, a lot of factors that kind of go in, you know. I mean, you can have really big businesses even still fail. Like, I think valid point. I was just reading a very relevant article two days back about small enterprises. We think that, you know, they are not happy, but there are small enterprises which are doing with 20-30% margin and having a fabulous life. Uh, so they are quite happy in their own space. Absolutely, absolutely. People, if they think what they want to do and if they do that business, mm. it's really great. And you could be a vendor to Toyota supplying one of the components and you can really be a great business, right? I mean, 
Um, Manju, I just want to uh, take this away from to another perspective. Uh, we are all we all feel blessed with technology, but somewhere are we missing out on the human uh, aspect of technology? Uh, I can give you two examples. Let's say healthcare. Uh, we have apps like Practo and uh, uh, Librate. Uh, they're coming into uh, big coming coming into the marketplace in a big way. On another hand, we also have the B2B companies where we know that a lot of the relationships are built on trust, transparency, and loyalty. And there is a, there is a emotion aspect that builds relationships. So I'm wondering whether um, a, a technology-based app would have the same placebo effect uh, as a traditional uh, uh, marketplace. So. I mean, if you take example of uh, Practo, for simple example, right? I, I want to search for a good doctor. I'm able to do it. I'm, I should be able to get the feedback. I'm able to get the feedback then and there. People are rating a doctor. We know how many comments have come in. So those aspects are there, meaning that I'm able to get that in without any human intervention. So that is the reach I'm getting through technology. There are a lot of other companies like Portia. They will come to your home, they will collect your blood samples, right. they will help you for physiotherapy, all those. Even if you take urban clap for example, even the spas are coming to your doors. So women are like more happily they can spend time at home. So th the technology ease is like uh, definitely happening on that uh, side. On the other side, for what purpose do you use the technology matters. Back to that, right. Like, technology, right, I see, I have this theory where like anything that you are lazy about, a startup can be born there. Like you, you are lazy about food, so you have right. lazy about having a cab. Anybody is lazy of there's a potential opportunity sitting there for right. technology to play a role. So that and 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 at the end of the day, all technology put together, the uh, human intervention, like right. a driver right. or beat a swiggy right. delivery person. Right. I I think the key is that as we do this, right? I think there's a new kind of. Uh, you know, people who previously wouldn't have had those opportunities, right? They'll get those opportunities. Right. I mean, as we see this revolution kind of happening, I think that's actually very interesting. Like how many Uber drivers we are, how many Swiggy delivery boys we are having. So th those are all real human touches which right. are getting created. Right. They didn't have opportunities in the past. Yeah. So technology, I would say, is like automation is, or like I wouldn't call full automation, but technology is really helping to bring a new set of people into the mainstream or into the middle class and making it better for them. I think uh, technology is a blessing, but we, we also see, for example, the Sophie Robo uh, is being taught how to be emotional. <laughs> so I think somewhere there's a balance that's needed. See, see technology, uh, what it focuses is to ensure that there's additional comfort, additional convenience right. to what we are doing. It cannot displace. That's, that's what the focus of uh, technology has been. And eventually there's, there's a human intervention, a human touch. Even if you take the Uber Ola case, he, he says there's a convenience now, right? He did not drive himself, he can just call on-demand transport, right? But assume the experience that he has, when he actually get into, gets into the cab, the driver is not good, it's very shabbily managed, he, he is abusive. Will he go and use that even there is a convenience or comfort? No, he'll, he'll have a different view about it, right? So, so, so technology is comfort and convenience. And as long as you're actually 
having that understanding right there is there is no conflict between Absolutely. the two you talked of sophie right that is going to happen but what will that uh, what will sophie be doing it will be assisting a human right to get additional comfort and convenience right it will it will replace some activity some other person was doing you had a person dependency on it now you can do it by yourself right that's that's what i feel what about a visit to the doctor vis-a-vis checking on the app i've got fever visiting to a doctor brings comfort uh, just like the placebo effect that asha mentioned uh, you don't even have to pop in a pill you see the doctor and you feel better yeah. many people have that, that the that app cannot replace that app cannot replace the placebo effect cannot be done by technology but if sophie becomes uh, sophisticated enough that is also possible see, there is one uh, flip side to this is uh, see there is a lot of convenience to this but there there's a lot of information overload uh, it creates lot of stress see now we have created a lot of convenience to ourselves but frankly speaking we are more stressed out than than being very easy about things uh, that is where i was saying that as long as you understand this technology is basically for your comfort and convenience and you do not go beyond that yeah, you in need, your mind you you need to be conscious of where you draw then you know line. how to use it otherwise it will take over it will take over that's the that's the only aspect that that has to be taken care of i think it is all wedding invites any invites are coming on whatsapp right. isn't it right <laughs> that, absolutely no no you did no you think should i go or not <laughs> yeah. harish uh, if you were doing a project in a large enterprise i'm sure you have kind of been involved in a startup uh, project for many years now right i mean you started as a uh, on a startup journey within toyota what's the experience like uh, you would be like an entrepreneur uh, but would that give the same spirit of entrepreneurship or the administrative bottlenecks and the protocols would actually uh, not not meet the same kind of enjoyment that a, a startup entrepreneur on his own would enjoy i mean what's the experience like just trying to get an insight see the experience may not be exactly the same mm. it won't be the same but if you uh, if you see it the way for it should be seen then there shouldn't be any difference right. the reason i say it is because see uh, what's an entrepreneur's uh, uh, whole mindset is to create something new that's not there right, right? you have the pleasure of creating something right. right right that you can do in the, an experience that i have gone through where yeah. i have this ability to create something which is not there at the same time there is a layer which supports you and protects you right so that you don't fall off so much right is a positive piece the negative piece is that you are not the boss of everything that there's somebody else that you have to convince right. there's, a, there's somebody else to whom you have to pitch in right. but that is true even when you are starting you want funding you you yep. need to convince somebody else so this is how you look at it right right so for me maybe i will think toyota so it's just a of toyota perception. was my funding you know vc partner so if you think like that then there's then then it becomes the same interesting but on the ground it is of course different right uh, we know uh, when we talk of startups would you uh, would you always prefer uh, a technology based startup as opposed to a non technology startup because sometimes the non technology startups may not scale as quickly as the technology startups but they may still be as successful if not more so what are your views when you have to pick uh, uh, investments i think uh, most most vcs right we working with technology as an idea simply because you know ability to scale is 
within the time frame of the seven to ten years, right? Right. Potentially pretty high when we have technology as a platform and it lends itself to scale. When we do non-technology stuff, we may not be able to reach the kind of numbers that we are thinking of. Let's say, we, uh, but uh, when I say numbers, right, we expect you know typically to return three times right. whatever we've right. invested as a whole. Right. Uh, so, so that typically comes only with technology and scale, right. uh, which in the traditional uh, pieces, right, it may not come. Let's say an FMCG brand, right. but there are uh, VCs now who are only focusing on FMCG because there's dearth of like you know brands in this country. We've actually done a couple of investments recently. Uh, it's still not sure how that's going to play out because right. it's just I've just started out. You know, there is dedicated funds who are focusing on investing in brands. Uh, that's an area that's picking up in a large way. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, like say, be it brands focusing on moms or women or uh, child kids. That's happening in a large way. But we are not sure if that is going to give an outcome like a Swiggy or an Uber. You know. Right. Very, very, very tough, you know. But if, 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 if you're going in with a clear mindset, boss, I will not get a billion dollar outcome here, but you would potentially get a hundred crore or a hundred million outcome. Right. Then, then it's possible to build a model according to that and you can fund those also. That's the exploration that's happening in the market today, but there are also players who are looking at closely. So it's slightly blurring between, you know, saying right. technology and brand, but brands are something that's getting funded now. Right, it's, because it's the, no, the non-technology may have very intangible but powerful impact sometimes uh, sorry no. the, the non technology based startups yeah. sometimes may have a uh, very profound impact uh, on communities but tangibly the ROIs may not be comparable could be could be yeah. there could be some cases but if uber is a technology startup or a swiggy right. right i think there's a tangible impact on people right i right. i mean if my mom or somebody is able to order food when it's not convenient to cook right there's a big tangible impact on i think my parents there right. I, I, uh, so so i think technology or non-technology i think i think the impact wise i i don't see a big difference actually technology may actually be producing more impact right than the traditional ones because we are already used to what we already have right a bottle of water or a pack of biscuit those right. are from some of those other new businesses that you potentially could do. We are used to that impact already. Right. Technology may have a higher impact is our sense. You know that's why you know we kind of go after where technology is a part of the whole uh, business. But, yeah. but yeah. scaling is, is faster. Is, is is the distinction? Uh, I think maybe it's blurring because yeah. even, even maybe when you say non-technology, you are saying technology is not the base for that. But probably when somebody is going to start something in the non-technology space, like maybe FMCG. The only differentiator they can bring is to technology, because they have to do something different from what's already existing. Right. So they have to create a new business model. When you say digital transformation, right, it is not something you have a model, you just make it digital. No, it's a different business model. That's where technology plays in. So in my mind, there's actually nothing called technology and non-technology. That's where the line kind of blurs for me. Just to add to what Harish says, right, and fit in with what he's also trying to do. Today, any new brand that's coming into the market, right, is able to actually come because there's technology. Right. I can't build a Bistlery 20 years back uh, because I didn't have Facebook. I couldn't market with 1,000 rupees. Today, I can build something like Bistlery on day one and, then market and also market it. Right. Somewhere using technology to yeah. actually... For example, especially in the education space, maybe there are a lot of institutions that are delivering high value but not technology-driven. So I was I was actually thinking of those examples. That's getting disrupted in right. in my yeah. sense. That's totally getting disrupted. Yeah. The way education is being delivered uh, up to K twelve maybe it's a different story. But 
uh, after that, I think it's getting disrupted in a big way. Right. And I potentially expect over the next 15, 20 years, even that area to get disrupted totally. I think people are not happy. How many people in this room, I mean, in the mm -hmm. five of us, right? How many of us are happy with the kids that our schools go to? Yeah. I, I think there's fundamentally something, all of us are not happy. Who's going to, uh, you know, stand up and say, boss, I'm going to change this. Somebody is going to do it, if not today, right. tomorrow. I expect somebody will do that. So that's bound to happen. Yeah. Somebody in this room right. might do that in the next 10, 15 years. I agree. I agree. One, one more example will be organic farming. Right. That is picking up big time. Right. I mean, they are like they have uh, a pool of farmers. So they don't know how to sell. So they are, these people are bringing technology. And also, I mean, how to farm. Even though they are like experts in farming, all the farmers, these people are going and say, this is the way you manage your water. This is the way you manage your entire product. This is the way you get more produce or whatever you are doing. And how do you connect it? I mean, there are multiple ways. I can directly go and plug in. There is a farm in Kanakpura wherein there is an app. I can get into that app. I can say I am coming between 3 to 4. I can go there. I can plug the mangoes directly. So, Again, that's, technology that's, to non-technology. That's yeah, actually yeah. a very good Learning. example because uh, you reach you reach the uh, uh, produce to the end users yeah. much faster. Fast. You bring down perishability rates. Family out thing is done. Right. Wife and kids are taken. Right. <laughs> <laughs> solved a lot of problems for him. Technology is solved. Personal problem. <laughs> that's interesting. It's making him happy. I have been not. Thinking over your point about information overload, content overload <laughs> that you just said a while ago. So, uh, a very valid point and this information that we are referring to is accessible to everybody. So, which means in a large enterprise, the management trainee has access to the same information and the CEO also has access to the same information. So, and most of these informations are freely available even what we study in B schools now are available as open courses uh, online. Uh, so, uh, Harish, how is this impacting uh, the future managers? Uh, that is what I have been thinking of. Is it going to flatten the hierarchies? See, the hierarchies are going to get flattened. Uh, come what may. So, I think that's definitely mm. going to happen. Mm. Uh, but information overload is, 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 is uh, true to everybody at every level. Mm. Now, um, uh, the kind of information availability is probably maybe similar. But the ability to, see it's just information, right? The ability to make use of that information, the ability to understand and make sense of that information so that that can be applied to something which is productive to the organization or to the self, to the team, uh, is the differentiator, right? So for that you don't need so much of hierarchy. So it's going to get flattened a little bit, a lot more democratization. Maybe the extreme case will be you don't need managers at all, it's all self-managed teams. Um, there are companies which are running just like that. There are no managers, right? And there are no teams. So there are no teams, there are no managers. They are self-managed people. So there is something, then people come together, form a team, run with it. And they are able to do it. See, frankly, I mean, I have heard about it, I have read about it. I myself cannot fathom that that can work. I know I have not seen it myself. So it's very difficult, but it's happening. So I think that's where it will go. That's the extreme case. But, uh, but what I think is that uh, it's not availability of information, it's how you cut all the, the noise. Uh, information, uh, you know, overload basically is like noise, right? It creates a lot of distraction. As long as you're able to cut that, that's a capability, that's ability, right? If you're able to do it, then that's what will help you to 
move up uh, in any in any place hierarchy is going to go down anyway there are not too many levels for you there is this one more point is that see we are a generation in transit so we have these problems but the next generation are digital native people so they will not have this problem they will be inborn with this kind of capability uh, to cut through this whole stuff and see what they really want to see and how they want to use that or apply so that there is some benefit to something or somebody they will be having it so there's nothing that we need to worry about it's just that we have to worry about ourselves if what i saw in my own thing again will be i mean lot of students are also here they say now the information is available go read through get back with a complete summary or the gist of this information we will help you know whether that's correct or in what way you are going the direction will be set by the respective b schools but the information they have to student have to personally go there extract it come back i'm seeing that kind of trend happening the case study case study, case study thing, yeah. method of learning mm. great asha yeah. um, when it comes to startups uh, manju i'm addressing this to manju how can bootstrap companies actually make uh, optimal use of technology because we have technology in the form of artificial intelligence we have data analytics we also have blockchain technology coming up how can uh, startups actually uh, uh, decipher what is relevant for them uh, and what is not uh, or information overload again how would you customize uh, solutions separately uh, modeled for large enterprises versus startups so is your your question is uh, the technology that we offer for the startups right. versus Start the technology exactly, are exactly. Okay. okay cool and both from affordability point of view and also the uh, relevance point of view i mean here if i am if i am wrong so there are two approaches that we follow so i mean it has worked out wonders for both the approaches one is you build a platform which is um, catering maybe a smb segment of it so you know what is your target market so instead of uh, the product value may be just 10 dollars but you know the target market is 1000 dollars so 1000 into 10 so 10000 is the revenue that you are expecting end of the day and how do you scale up so does your expertise come there because here we can do lot of growth hacking techniques right if you just have a landing page and do some campaigns right. it need not be even the advertisement paid campaigns it can be just an organic campaign you can get very good results on the other side you build a platform for enterprise which will take longer time the risk may be very high so wherein you should have reference to talk to those large enterprises and say this is what we are going to do it take a poc route with them and say this is what we are going to implement and you go through them advantage going through enterprises like if your poc is like very good and if it's a success there you can get maybe 10 20 or 50 very good reference from the same large enterprise okay. so that will help you grow 50x in terms of overall revenue right. but when it comes to a, you are offering to your smb you have to do lot of homework across markets how do you really get there and scaling up your platform technologically from smb to large right. enterprise is tougher wherein from enterprise to smb you have to just take away couple of features and it will be there so you actually stay with them through the journey to customize it to the requirements yes we we have to do that that's interesting i think just to add what kind of yeah. technologies is what right. i think you hinted right. at right. right so 
I mean, you should know the problem statement clearly. Right. And all the technologies available are tools. Right. Treat them as tools. I mean, right. if I have to pluck a tree, do I need as tools? Is exactly that I would draw. Right. To solve this problem, do I need AI? Do in learning? Do I need any mm -hmm. other tools? Which is, so if These tools are sufficient, that's sufficient enough. You right. don't need to over-engineer uh, your product or right. your solution. Just choose enough that you can get to the uh, market. Right. A lot of people right, uh, end up using AI, blockchain, and M, uh, machine learning and all that. When it's, if it's absolutely required only, it's required, right? You just, for right. doing, let's say, delivery from point A to B, so I'm using AI, machine learning. Right. You don't need uh, to over-engineer. You don't need to over-engineer right. a product. I think a lot of people, do that so that you know maybe the VC will get uh, enamored with the keywords, right. but we also figured out what are the keywords, right. like what are the keywords. <laughs> right. so, so if it's absolutely required, I think you should go for it and use right. that. Otherwise, I think just use the minimum tools that possible to build it. Just as a continuation, uh, when you evaluate startups, uh, how do you how do you identify uh, a strategic CEO vis-a-vis -vis, uh, an operational manager titling? himself as a CEO? Uh, difficult, uh, <laughs> difficult problem. So reading people right is like one of the key skills. Right. I mean, many times you can get it wrong. Right. But, but we try and look for certain qualities that we look for like, uh, does he have the ability to learn, adopt? Right. And, and typically, in, even in a two, three people co-founding team, right, right, we will see that there will be one person who stands out right. and he typically will be the CEO or he'll end up being the right. uh, CEO. So there, there is this pattern that's kind of visible but right. sometimes you know it's challenging. Things, yeah, it's challenging to exactly say you know this would have worked or not. That's why you know you probably lose out on a swiggy all sorts. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. I have my last question for uh, Harish. Um, I was reading a survey that 75 percent of business transformations end up uh, uh, failure. It could be lack of leadership, it could be bad handling of the implementation process or it could be uh, wrong prioritization of your value proposition. Uh, what do you think is the most uh, uh, critical thing in making sure that business transformations yield the desired results? See. Uh, it's like even a software project. Sixty percent of the projects fail. Right. Or forget software projects, just right. projects. Right. Almost sixty-seven or seventy percent of the projects fail, which are large in nature. See, so all this is because you are you are doing a project, you are doing a transformation. Right. Fundamental thing you are trying to do is change. You are changing from a particular state, a completely new state. You do not know. The biggest hurdle you always have is with people. It's not with technology, it's not with processes. There's a, there's a resistance. No, you have to win them over. Now that is where you need clear vision, clear communication. If that is done, then you slowly start getting people uh, to understand why we need to make this change. Right. And why this change is absolutely required now. And what do you actually gain by getting into that change state? Now once that clarity comes in, and then that has to come across the levels. If the CEO is clear, uh, but his next downs are not so clear right. and I'm sure the next downs would be absolutely against it now. Yeah, they right? should all be understanding it in the same language. Same language, 
but maybe they will have different levels of understanding of it, but at least the direction is clear, understanding is clear, and they know that this is the right way to do. Right. Now it will take a little bit of time. Second thing is, uh, people do not really uh, think through, think through all these hurdles and they probably want to rush, really not uh, no, figuring out what and how. You need right. to give uh, that time. Of right. course, you need, to, you need to kind of push so that things happen as early as possible. Uh, but you need to see where the fine line is. It should not break. Right. Many times you, uh, you probably, if you have persisted for a few more, maybe quarters or months, you would have reached there. Right. You just abandon it. Then this whole, this you spend uh, you know, a few quarters or a couple of years, it's gone. So uh, both the leadership, Mm -hmm. as well as the people involved in it. You right. usually have a transformational project team mm -hmm. or uh, somebody. You need to be able to manage the change. Change manage management is the yeah. fundamental piece. I uh, identify the right people as the champions of change ch at every level. Yeah, change agents. You can, you can bring in people who really understand that you, you change the mix. Right. Uh, where, where people who are, who are attached to the previous processes are mixed with people who are open to the new ones. Uh, you change the leadership, so so there's a mix and match. See, there is no my territory, your territory kind of a thing. You right. See, there are certain softer things that you need to do, so you prepare the ground for it. Right. People don't really, you know, give much of attention. Yeah, yeah. So they expect things to happen, but it people doesn't happen that way. <laughs> True. Maybe we can just uh, uh, get insights from each one of you on one most important point when it comes to business transformation that you'd like to leave the audience thinking about? Uh, we can start with Vinod. I'll give it rather from the startup perspective. Mm, yeah. uh, I, I think uh, always uh, listen and, uh, you know, uh, continuous learning. I think, I think that's one of the keys. There are multiple other keys probably, but I think listen and always uh, continue to learn. That will help in the transformation. Uh, tremendously. Again, from the in say technology and startup perspective, I mean, analyze your own uh, strengths and weaknesses. So, I mean, decision maker time. I mean, if you are coming fresh out of your college or maybe with five years of experience, you want to start something. There's still 20, 30 years left for you guys. So, even you can take a route wherein you aim for something small, achieve, make your own mark, and make it successful. And you define that success. And once you define that success, from there, the next will be very, very easy for you. Thank you. Harish? So, so uh, for me, I think one key thing that is absolutely required if you want to transform a business, whether it's startup or it's a large organization, is please focus on the people. Please focus on the people. Ensure uh, people have this ability to learn, unlearn, and relearn. Uh, so that this change is possible and because people are the ones who actually make the change possible. So focus on people. Thank you to all the panelists for uh, uh, your very valuable time to share very valuable insights with us and with the audience. I hope the audience have a lot of takeaway from this session. Uh, just to summarize, I think there are a lot of insights that we got from you. One, innovation is not necessarily technology, it's also about the business model. Two, the digital transformation is here to stay and we cannot run away from it, we have to embrace it. It's not just uh, uh, changing technologies, it's disrupting businesses. One consequence of uh, 
digital transformation is that organizations are bound to become flatter in the future whether we like it or not and uh, the best way to approach this is to uh, take it in the positive spirit and embrace it wholeheartedly thank you very much for your patience thank you